your Bible and go from verse to verse in the book of Acts and be able to study this book and be able to understand it. And I pray, Lord, that you help everyone here to be able to be uh, learn something from the passage, to be challenged in regards to something that, that they would leave here and they would have grown a little bit in their spirituality. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well, uh, we read through the entire chapter. I like to read the Bible in church, and I like to uh, see the entire story there in its context. Last week, we dealt with the first part of Acts chapter 5, so we're not going to deal with it again. Uh, I just wanted to read it to kind of refresh your mind as to what was going on. But if you remember last week, we saw there uh, the story about Ananias and Sapphira, and how uh, they lied to the Holy Ghost about they lied to God, and they were trying to impress men, and then they died because of it. And then we saw there that the apostles were healing people, and it was a mighty thing. It was great power that was going on there, to the point where they were laying sick people on beds on the street, just hoping that as Peter would walk by them, that that his shadow would overshadow them as he passed by, and that they would be healed. And and there's a great work being done here in this uh, New Testament church, this young church. The Bible says there in verse 14, and uh, believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, we know this church is growing, and this church is being used of God there in Jerusalem. And whenever you're doing something for God, you're going to find opposition. And um, if you look there at verse number 17, that's where we'll start tonight. Verse 17 goes into a little bit of a story. It says, then the high priest. Now, if you remember, the high priest is the religious leader. There used to be a uh, place for the high priest that was a, a, a righteous uh, sort of uh, office that God had ordained. But in the New Testament, uh, God has now gotten rid of uh, the, the Levitical priesthood. We preached that on that a couple weeks ago. Not this last Sunday, but a, a couple Sundays about that. We were preaching about the law and, and the things that don't apply in the New Testament. The Levitical priesthood is no longer there, so there should not be a high priest. But they continue to have a high priest. The Bible says in verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and the Sadducees, we saw this a couple weeks ago, we won't get into it, but the Sadducees are, are kind of like the Pharisees, they're a, a group of religious leaders, but they don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in angels, they've got just weird doctrines, and, and this is kind of the group that the high priest at this time is, is with, the Sadducees, and look at what it says in the last part of verse number 17, it says, and we're filled with indignation. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. I like in the book of Acts, there's so many jailbreaks in the book of Acts. I mean, these apostles just keep constantly, uh, you know, people said, uh, I've heard preachers say, when Paul would walk into a new city, the first thing he'd do is he'd check out the jailhouse and see how, how nice it was or, or how the amenities were. Because he knew, you know, in just a short amount of time he was going to be there, you know, because just throughout the entire book of Acts, these people were just getting thrown in prison, thrown in prison. But often we see God just breaking them out of prison. And as soon as He broke them out of prison, the Bible says the angel Lord said, go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of His life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. And it's kind of comical. If you really allow the Bible to just take on some flesh as you're reading it, you know, it says, but the high priest came, and they that were with him, the Sadducees, and called the council together. And all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So they get all the leaders together. I mean, they get the senate of Israel. I mean, imagine like the senate of the United States, you know. And they get all these uh, leaders together and they bring them together. And they send them out. They, they send out these soldiers to bring uh, uh, Peter and John 
prison, and they're going to have a trial for them. In verse 22 it says, But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, and this is what they said, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the door. But when we had opened, we found no man within. So they're saying, look, we got there and the prison was shut, it was locked, the guards were still there, the guards didn't even realize that they were gone, and when we had them open all the doors, obviously this wasn't, you know, it's not like we think of like the bars or whatever. Obviously they were some sort of solitary confinement or something, because they didn't even know they were gone. They open the door and they realize these people are gone. Look at verse 24. Now when the high priest and the captains of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. So it's kind of comical because they, they get all this sense together. They get all these religious people together. They're going to bring these guys in. And they're going to really just rip them apart and judge them and do all this stuff. They send them to prison and they're not there. And then someone shows up and they're like, hey, those guys that you brought in prison, they're in the temple doing the exact same thing you told them not to do. They're just over there preaching God's word. And it says in verse 26, Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people. I want you to remember that. They brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. I want you to remember that. We'll get to that uh, later on in the, in the passage. But they, they, they were nice to them in front of the crowd because the people, remember, the people are getting healed. The people are getting saved. The people are joining their church. So they're afraid that if they're you know, violent towards these men that the people are going to stone them. Look at verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now I want you to see there that they said, Did not we straightly command you? These were their leaders. Alright? These were the leaders of their nation. Now we understand that they're under Roman rule. And really the Roman Empire is the, is the leader of Israel at this time. But when Rome would take over a country, they would allow their normal governmental structure to continue. They would just take taxes from them and rule them. You know, they, allow, they would allow them to keep a lot of their laws. And this high priest is one of their leaders. And these leaders said, you know, did we not command you? That ye should not teach in this name. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And in verse 29, Peter makes a very interesting statement. And you gotta, you know, we went through that little story there because you gotta understand the context of the story. But the Bible says in verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And you know, as we do God's work, in the local New Testament church, like the apostles were doing here in the book of Acts. We've got to understand that obedience to God's work is the most important thing. And the Bible says that they said, even if it goes against man's rules, even if it goes against man's commandments, even if it goes against man's laws, we ought to obey God rather than men. It is always wrong to disobey God in order to obey man. Now, whenever possible, we ought to obey the laws of the land and, and, and those who are in authority over us if, if, it, if it doesn't contradict God's law. But whenever man's law or man's commandment contradicts God's law or God's commandment, you're right 
to disobey. And the Bible says we have to obey God rather than men. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, I was 16 years old, and I went, uh, got my very first job at Subway. That's actually where my wife and I met. We met at Subway. And uh, my wife, you know, we were 16, 17 years old. My wife was the assistant manager, you know, I was just a worker. She was my boss. And, uh, you know, and she was an atheist and all these things. And we, we, you know, that's a long story. We talked for a long time. And I ended up giving her the gospel, and she got saved, and we got married. And here we are, seven years later, she's still the boss. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Uh, but, you know, we met at Subway. Remember when we. Every time, you know, um, whenever we have an anniversary, we always go to Subway. And we, no, I'm just kidding. We don't do that either. But uh, people always ask me, do you guys go to Subway for your anniversary? We go there and we set up these candles and stuff. No. But um, anyway, I remember, I'm getting off the story. But I remember when I went, I was 16 years old and I went to Subway. And I remember, you know, I, I, I filled out my application and, and I put on my application there. You know, it has the little squares. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it gives like morning, you know, different times or whatever. And you're supposed to put when you're available. And I put, you know, I'm available all the time. But I crossed out certain sections. I crossed out three sections. Sunday, or not three sections, two sections. Sunday, the entire day, I just put a big X over all the Sunday. And then Wednesday at around like 6.30 or 6 something, I just put an X and I said, I'm not available Sunday morning. I'm not available Sunday night. I'm not available Wednesday say because I'm in church. And I remember that I, I did a little interview there. There was a guy who uh, was the manager there. His name was Mo. And he was an, this Iranian guy. He's just a foreigner. And, and you know, sometimes people, uh, when they're not good with English, they're kind of harsh or whatever. And I remember he was saying to me, oh, you know, we'd like to hire you. You're a good kid, blah, blah. He said, but I got a problem with your schedule. And he said, you know, um, you know, you got these times here, and, and I don't know if that's going to work. And I said, well, listen, I, I got to be in church. I got to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. So if it's not going to work out, then then that's fine. You know, I'll just try to go find a job somewhere else. And he said, no, 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 that's fine, that's fine. We can, we, can do, uh, we, we, we can do it for you. He said, but what if just like every once in a while, like, like let's just say like, like once a month, could you work on a Sunday? I said, no. And he said, what, what about once every six months? I said, no. He said, okay, well, what, what, if, what if we just never schedule, but just in an emergency? Like in an emergency, um, would you be able to do it? And I said, no. And he said, okay, so if I hired you, you've been working here for like a year, and I just scheduled you to work on Sunday, what would you do? And I said, I would not come to work. And he just looked at me and he said, why are you making this so hard? You know, and he's like, why you go the hard way? That's what he asked me, that's what he said, because he was like a foreigner. He said, why you go the hard way? And I, and I just said to him, and look, and obviously, you know, if, if you already start, my, my wife had already been working there for a year or so, and she got saved, and she's already coming to church, so obviously I gave her different advice. I, I said, you know, because she'd already been working, you know, she'd already been available during that time, so it would be wrong for her to just stop showing up. But she went to him, and she said, look, I need Sundays and Wednesdays off, or I'm quitting. And he, she was the assistant manager or whatever. She didn't, he didn't have any other teenager he trusted, so of course he let her out. You know, but, but the point of my, the story is this. You say, oh, well, you know, people would think, oh, well, if he schedules you, that's your boss. You know, Look, we ought to obey God rather than men. And it, it would not, you know, and if someone were to schedule I think Ms. Hudson has a similar story uh, from when she used to work that she, she has told me about. But if, if I had a boss and I told him, look, I go to church on Sundays. And look, you say, well, you're the pastor. I was a 16-year-old. I wasn't pastoring anybody. <laughs> and nobody was listening to me. The 16-year-old girl that I was dating or whatever was maybe listening to me a little bit, but that's it. But you know, it would not have been wrong for me to disobey in order to obey God. And sometimes people think, oh, you know, we got to follow the laws and we got to do this. And we should follow laws and we should do right. But if ever there's a commandment of man that goes against God, it is right for us to disobey. Peter said we ought to obey God rather than man. Now that shook those men. And that scared those men. And, and, and that empire there and those people, they thought, oh, you know, these people. But what they understand is a Christian. 
Christian is going to be the greatest citizen you ever had. I mean, they're going to be the most patriotic. They're going to love the, you know, they're going to do the best things. But it's just when you cross the line, we ought to obey God. You say, you know, they, there might come a day in America when they make certain things illegal. And if they make those illegal, we ought to decide right now, are we going to obey God? What if they made in America, what if they made it illegal to read the Bible? You say, that would never happen. It's happened in Canada. You say, you can't read the Bible in Canada? Well, you can read the Bible, but there's certain sections of the Bible you can't read. Did you know that? There are certain sections, I mean, I, I cannot go to Canada today, open up my Bible to the Old Testament, and all the sections that deal with sodomy, and how filthy and disgusting it is, and, and how God just talks negatively about it, I can't read those passages again. It's illegal. I know a Baptist preacher sitting in prison right now, because they stood up behind their pulpits and preached the Word of God, and it's illegal to read it. You say, well, well we ought not read it. No, 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 we ought to obey God rather than what if, what if they made uh, having church illegal? Would you still go to church? China, you can't have church. People still do it. They do it secretly, but they do it. You know, what about souling? People, you know, I go out knocking on doors and I knock on people's doors and people put up these little no soliciting signs. And they try, and they put up these laws and they say, oh, you know, you can't do this, you know. And it, that's not even true anyway. Because obviously the Constitution says that we can practice our religion, and that's part of my religion. So, and I'm pretty sure the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. So it doesn't matter what local government says, you know. But even if it were true, even if it was illegal, would you stop doing it? The Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And God says when we do something in the Spirit, when we do the work of God in the Holy Ghost, He says uh, everything that we do in the Spirit, against such there is no law. And if they made a law against knocking on doors, if they made a law against preaching the Gospel, if they made a law about reading the Bible, if they made a law about soul winning or about preaching or about praying like they did when Daniel used to, he had a, if you remember the story of Daniel, he had a, a habit in his life where three times a, a day he would open up his windows and he would pray to God and people were jealous of Daniel because God was blessing him and God had his hand on him and they made it illegal to pray and Daniel had to make a choice on that first day after the law was implemented whether he would pray or not and Daniel just like Peter decided, you know what, I'm going to obey God rather than men and he just did, he didn't do it, he didn't do it secretly. Because he didn't just want to change, you know, he wasn't doing it to show off, it was just his pattern. And he didn't want people to think that he caved in to the law of the land. So he just opened up his windows, bowed down on his knees, and praised to God. They threw him in the lion's den. But you know what? The Bible says that God sent an angel of the Lord, and he shut the mouths of the, of the lions. Do you believe in that kind of God? I mean, would you disobey a man's commandment to obey God? Go with me to Jeremiah chapter number 12. Let me show you a verse, Jeremiah chapter number 12. I've showed this verse multiple times. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. But the Bible says that this world is getting worse and worse. And we better start preparing ourselves in spiritual maturity to make decisions like Peter. I mean, you got to understand, when Peter made this statement and he said, we ought to obey God, you got to understand, he just spent last night in prison. When the Bible says they laid hands on him, that, that doesn't mean they grabbed him. Nice. I mean, they, laying hands in the Bible means they beat you. I mean, they, 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 they grabbed you and they, you know, violated you. I'm, you know, they, they like threw you up against walls and stuff. He spent the night in prison and he, and he still said, I'd rather obey God. 
But go to Jeremiah chapter number 12, look at verse number 5. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jeremiah chapter number 12, and look at verse number 5. Jeremiah 12, 5 says this. Jeremiah in the Old Testament, one of those major prophets in the Old Testament, says, if... He says, if thou hast run with footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? He's saying, you know, if you've been running along footmen, if thou hast run with footmen, you're running with men, you're racing with a human being, and they've wearied you, they've gotten you tired. He said, how can thou contend with horses? He said, if, if you can't keep up with a guy running, can you keep up with a horse running? He says, and if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they weary thee, how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? You know what he's saying? He's saying, if in America, where it's free to open up a King James Bible and read it all day long, if you like, in America, where you can bow on your knees and pray to God, in America, where you can knock on people's doors and, and ask them if they know where they were going to spend eternity, if they know that if they die today, if they go to heaven or hell, and where it's free to do that, We must prepare for that. So how do you prepare for that? You grow spiritually. You mature spiritually. And you must understand a few things. Go, go back to Acts chapter number 5. Look at verse number 29. Acts chapter number 5 and verse 29. You say, Pastor Jimenez, you're saying you'd be willing to go to prison to preach God's word? I, I, I plan on it. You know, obviously, when we get in those situations, we don't know what we're going to do. But I pray to God that I wouldn't. And I'm, I'm planning on it. You say, well, why is that? Well, here's, here's why. It's worth disobeying man's law to do God's work if you understand the value of God's work. Look, look, at, uh, of God's work. look at verse number 29. Acts chapter number 5 and look at verse number 29. Acts chapter number 5 and verse 29. The Bible says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. And they heard and when when they had heard that, they were cut to the heart, and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up in the council a Pharisee named Gamaliel a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So they're, they're having this little trial here, and this guy named uh, Gamaliel, or Gamaliel, however you want to pronounce it, the Bible says he's a Pharisee, he's a doctor of the law, he has a good reputation among all the people, he stands up and he says, Let, let's put these apostles a uh, little space off, and they start having this little meeting amongst themselves. Now you may be wondering, who's this uh, Gamaliel? Well, he's actually kind of a, not important character, but an interesting character. Go with me to Acts chapter number 22 and look at verse number 1. I'll just show you something about this guy. Acts chapter number 22 and verse 1. Acts 22, 1. We fast forward in the book of Acts to uh, Paul. At this point in the, in, in the book, Paul has been arrested. 
And it's actually a good thing, because if he wouldn't have been arrested by the Romans, uh, then he would have probably got beat to death by the Jews. And he's, after he's been arrested, he's allowed to uh, plea his case there to the Jews. If you look at Acts 22, look at verse number 1. Paul begins to speak, he says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense. So you see there he's going to start to defend himself. And he says, Which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue, tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith. And notice what Paul says. He says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, Yet, notice what he says, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye, are, as ye all are this day. You notice that Paul was actually trained by this man uh, Gamaliel, or Gamaliel, I don't know how to pronounce it. But go back to Acts chapter number 5. Gamaliel is this Pharisee, the doctor, he, he, he's training these Pharisees. Now, was Paul a good guy or a bad guy when he was a Pharisee? He's a bad guy. He was wrecking havoc of the church. He was killing Christians. He was bringing them to prison. And this is a man that's going to... So this Gamaliel, I don't, want, I don't want you to think he's a good guy. He's a bad guy. Actually, at this time, you, we pretty much understand that, that uh, uh, Paul is either training with him or, 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 or has just recently got done. You know, Because we're going to get very acquainted here with Paul in a, in a few chapters. But Gamaliel is speaking... And look at verse number 35. He begins to talk about the apostles and, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Theudas, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up, rose up Judas of Galilee. In the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel, or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. Now you got to understand, Gamaliel is making this argument, he's saying, look, you know, don't worry too much about these guys. He said, do you remember this guy, Theodos? You know, he, he made himself to be somebody, and he was boasting. He got 400 people to follow him. And as soon as he died, they just scattered. He said, do you remember Judas of, uh, of Galilee? And, and, and now he had people, and then he perished. And when he perished, they were all dispersed. And now you got to understand, what side of the aisle do you think Amazing is on? Do you think he, he, he doesn't think that Paul and Peter is a work of God, because otherwise he would join them. You know, he, he thinks that, he, he's just pretty much telling the Pharisees, he's saying, look, as soon as these guys die, they're just going to be dispersed, it's not going to be a big deal, it's going to be like Theodos, it's going to be like Judas and God. Now here's what you got to understand, his reasoning is that as soon as the leader of this movement dies, they're going to be scattered. The problem with his reasoning and his logic is this, he thinks Peter and John are the leaders. See, Gamaliel doesn't realize that Jesus Christ is the leader. And Gamaliel doesn't realize that the leader already died. And Gamaliel doesn't re realize that the leader died and the disciples, the Bible says, were scattered. But what he doesn't know is that Jesus Christ also rose from the grave. And that Jesus brought these people back together. And that people, Jesus endowed them with the Holy Ghost. And that he doesn't understand that this work that is being done does not rest on Peter, does not rest on John, does not rest on any one man. It is a work of God. Isaiah chapter number 40 verse 8. You don't have to turn there. The Bible says... The
King James uh, sermon, huh? But the Bible says that God's word will stand forever. That that uh, verse there was quoted again by Peter in 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse 24. And he said, For all flesh is as grass, and all glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. You see, what gave Peter the ability to stand up to the leaders of his society and, and with the threatened uh, 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 being beaten and the threat of being cast in prison and the threat of being killed and be able to say with boldness we ought to obey God rather than men. Here's what made him understand that is that Peter said that the word of the Lord endured forever. And Peter understood that the work of God had eternal value. The work of God had value that went past our lives. See, so often we as humans you know, get in this mindset and we work in our life so hard towards material things, towards money. We want to build a business. We want to have a nice house. Wanna, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. But our focus must always and should always be that which is spiritual, that which is eternal. Because those are the things that are going to last forever. Those are the things that you'll get rewarded for in heaven. Those are the things when you stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ and He puts all your life's work in that fire, like it says in, the, in, in First Corinthians. The, the earthly things will burn eternal things. They'll be purified and you'll be rewarded for that. See, but if you don't understand the value, the eternal value of God's work, then you won't be willing to do God's work when it's illegal. When you're not allowed to. But if you understand the value of it, if you understand that Gamaliel is wrong, and and Gamaliel was wrong because here we are 2,000 years later, And we're still preaching the Bible. We're still preaching about Jesus Christ. We're still preaching the gospel. And it's gone from man to man to man to man. Because it doesn't rest on man. It rests on God, Jesus Christ. But look at verse number 40. Acts chapter number 5 and verse 40. You can't... you, You must also understand not only the value of God's work, but the sacrifice of God's work. Look at verse 40. It says, And to him they agree. Now, Gamaliel just got done giving his little speech about how it's not going to last long anyway, so just let him be. And the Bible says in verse 40, and they agree. And to him they agree. So he said, okay, Gamaliel, you're right. But notice what they do. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, so they beat them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So, uh, remember I, I told you remember this? Go, to, go back to verse number 26 in Acts 5. And in verse 26 it says, Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have stoned them. So, they, didn't, they were really nice to them in front of the crowd, because they didn't want to get stoned by the people. But as soon as they had them you know, in their private quarters, then they beat them. You know, they're just a bunch of cowards is what they are. But when they beat them, and you got to understand, the Bible says beaten, you know, it's easy to just overread that. Traditionally in the scriptures, we find that when these men were beaten, they were beaten with a whip. And usually they were beaten with a, you know, they were, they, they, they had to be uh, last of the whip 39 times. Because uh, the Bible gives, they had a law where they could not whip a man over 40 times. Uh, and if, so they would do 39 times just to be uh, safe in case they accidentally, you know, miscounted or whatever. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was whipped 
39 times. The Bible says that Paul was whipped 39 times, multiple times by the Jews. And what they would do is they would put these men and they would they would tie up their hands and kind of just expose their, their upper body and they would take this whip and as they would whip and this whip would just rip around their body. And, and this whip, you know, usually it would be sharp or had uh, maybe glass or something that would, as it would rip around your, whip around your body, it would grasp your skin. And they just pull it back and it leave those, uh, you know, just rip the skin right off your body. That's why the Bible says that about Jesus Christ that we are healed by His stripes. Because He had just His back was striped as those whips uh, as they were beating Him. That's what happened to these men, I'm sure. You know, it wasn't a pretty thing. They were beaten and there was a sacrifice. But if you look at verse number 41, did they get upset? Did they get mad at God? Did they get depressed? Did they quit on God? No, it says, and they departed from the presence of the council. Notice what it said. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. I was out soloing with Brother Darrow uh, uh, a couple of days ago or something. We knocked on somebody's door and this little old lady comes out just cursing and yelling and saying, I don't want anything to do with you. Get away from my house. And she just slams the door. And Brother Darrow kind of looks back, you know, and I said, man, we're really suffering for Jesus, aren't we? You know what I mean? In America, that, that's suffering for Jesus. Just somebody yells at you and slams the door in your face. Bible times are getting beaten. They're getting thrown in prison. But notice what it says. It says, rejoicing that they were counted worthy. You know, and I was just kind of joking, Brother Darrow. But it says, you know, they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. It's funny that they use that word worthy there because uh, in, if you go with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 13. Uh, let me show you a few verses there. Hebrews chapter number 13. Oh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11. That's where I want to go. Hebrews 11. We're doing good on time. Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter number 11 is known as the, the, the faith chapter or um, the hall of faith. Because Hebrews 11 starts, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it, it, it begins to go into uh, a bunch of the Old Testament characters, Abel and Enoch and um, uh, Noah and Abraham and uh, you know Jacob and, and Joseph and Moses and all these different men. And all these great things they did by faith. You know, people say, oh, in the Old Testament you were saved by works. Well, Hebrews 11 says they were doing all this by faith. But if you skip down to verse number 32 in Hebrews 11, notice what it says. He goes through all these stories of all these great men. And he says, you know, I, I, I've got so much more I can say, but, but he doesn't have time to. And in Hebrews 11, he says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. Notice what it says. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. You see that? They were tortured, and as they're tortured, they're saying, if you would just, you know, deny Jesus Christ, if you would just deny the Bible, if you would just deny God, and they would not accept deliverance, they would just take the beating and take the torture. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Look at verse 36. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They, I mean, could you imagine being stoned to death? 
Could you imagine a group of people taking a rock, you know, many rocks, and throwing them at you till you die? I mean, I couldn't imagine a worse step. It says they were stoned. They were sawn asunder. That means they were cut open. I mean, cut in half. Were tempted. Were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Look at verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report, through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. Isn't the Christianity in America drastically different than Bible Christianity? I mean, the amount of sacrifice that we're asked to give... I mean, the the amount of sacrifice that we're asked to do for the cause of Jesus Christ is just so minimal compared to that in the Bible. I mean, we have the freedom to serve God. We could have church every day of the week. We could have church three times a day every day of the week if we wanted to. And these people were being tortured and killed and stoned. And the Bible says of whom the world was not worthy. You know what, if, I, if, if I'm going to live in the greatest country in the world, with the most liberties that any human being has ever had, then when I get to heaven, I want to be able to stand up and look at Paul in the face, and look at Peter in the face, and look at Daniel in the face, and look at all those Christians in the face. I want to be able to look at them, yeah, I didn't have to deal with the things you dealt with, but at least I used my liberty, and, and look at how many people we got saved. Look at how many people we preach the gospel to. Look at how many people got baptized. Look at how many lives got changed. And yeah, we have to deal with that, but we have to use the and realize they wasted their life and they wasted their time and I'm sure as we talk to Peter and as we talk to Paul and as they tell their stories and you know their war stories of all the things they went to and we're going to sit there and say well you know I I, I was really into video games I mean isn't that a shame I I really you know I, I could tell you all the statistics of all the baseball stats and all the football things and you know I'd rather live the type of life where God would look at me and say, of whom the world was not worthy. You say, how do you get to that? Well, you've got to understand the value of God's work. You've got to understand the sacrifice of God's work. You've got to understand that sometimes we might have to disobey man to do God's work. Go back to Acts chapter number 5, look at verse number 17. Acts five seventeen. We must understand the enemies of God's work. And the enemies of God's work. Acts 5.17 says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, we read this verse already, which is a sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Notice it says they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. Drop down to verse number 28 in Acts 5. It says, Saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? You know who the biggest enemy of God's work is? You say, it's, it's, it's the worldly people. It's the people who hate God. It's the atheists. No, the biggest enemy to God's work, surprisingly, is the religious leader. The average religious leader who's not saved. You know, Jesus Christ said this in Matthew 12, 30. He said, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And the sad thing is that the average religious leader, and I'd like you to understand this, you know, not just because someone says they're a pastor, just because someone says they're some 
sort of a religious leader, or they, they lead some sort of a religious movement, does not mean they're a good person. These high priests, and these Pharisees, and these Sadducees, and the scribes of this day, they, were, they thought they were religious leaders. Paul said he thought he was doing God's work. Saul said he thought he was doing God's work as he killed Christians, and he persecuted Christians. And, and the biggest you know, enemy to God's work is often... The religious leader who's not serving God, who's not going soul winning, who's not getting people saved. And look, let me just give you some advice, okay? Just in case, you know, some people in this church might end up at some point, you know, uh, moving somewhere else and, and maybe having to find another church or whatever. If you're looking for a church, here are the two, you must find a church that has these two characteristics. And you might, you know, if you ever get mad at Pastor Jimenez, if I preach something that upsets you and you leave this church... If you're going to go to the church, can you, can you just look for a church that has these two characteristics at least? Number one, they use the King James Bible. Because the NIV and all that, is, I mean, why listen to somebody preach out and lie to you? You know, they're, they're lying to you. But number two, find a soul winning church. A church that preaches the gospel. Because if a religious leader, a pastor who's full time, I mean, I'm not even full time, I'm not, I'm, I mean... Good night. I, I, I work full-time. I go to school full-time. I pastor a church full-time. I'm a husband full-time. I mean, I'm not anything full-time. I'm everything full-time, you know. But, I mean, you know, find someone who's going to preach. Because if a religious leader who takes a full-time check, their whole entire job is, you know, religion. And they never get anybody saved. They never try to give the gospel to anybody. They never lead anybody to, to, to get salvation. You know, Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with, uh, with uh, gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Because if you're taking people into a church that isn't preaching doctrine, that isn't preaching the Bible, that isn't getting anybody saved, then you're taking them from a church that is preaching the gospel, that is getting people saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? If they're not with us, they're against us. If they're not gathering, then they're scattering. Is what Jesus said. Not all Baptist churches are good. Not all churches are good. Not all preachers are good. Some of them will come in as, as wolves in sheep's clothing. Some of them will be false prophets. You think, how do I know if they're good? Well, first of all, if they're not using the Bible, they're not good. If they're not soul winning, they're probably not good. And then here's how you know. You listen to their preaching and you match it up to the Bible. The Bible says the Bereans, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they uh, accepted Paul's preaching with readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were true. You say, Pastor Jimenez, should I trust everything you say? No, you should not. When I preach the Bible, you ought to have your Bible with you. You ought to have your King James Bible open. You ought to be reading the verses. And you ought to be making sure that I'm not lying to you. And if something doesn't make sense, you ought to go home. And you ought to read the Bible and study it or ask me. But don't just take man's word. Because man lies. And often the biggest enemy to God's work is the religious leader. You say, we've been preaching all about God's work. The sacrifice of God's work. The value of God's work. The enemy of God's work. You may be asking, what is God's work? Well, look down at verse number 40. Acts chapter number 5 and verse 40. We're almost done. I've been preaching for 38 minutes. We'll be done very quickly. Look at Acts 5.40. Well, as quickly as you can as you can follow along. Acts 5.40 says this, And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in this name, in the name of Jesus, and let them go. 
And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Look at verse number 42, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And daily in the temple, and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. You say, what, what, what is God's work? Today I had a, a person come, uh, you know, ever since we got our church in the Yellow Pages, people call me every day asking for money. And uh, today I had somebody call me. I was getting, I was getting kind of scared because they, they called me. I was working, you know, so I couldn't pick up the phone. And um, they they called me. They left a message. They say, "Hi, my name is so and so. I've got this problem, that problem. You know, I got a five hundred dollar bill. Can you pay?" You know, and I'm like, "Man, good night." I mean, if our church members have a five hundred dollar bill, you know, I'll think about it. You know, I'll pay somebody who comes to our church. But someone who just called me, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know. Give him money for drugs or whatever. Hey, this guy called me like my my wife. I mean, my wife went with. She saw myself. Guy called me like eight times, like nine times over a course of like four or five hours, just like every thirty minutes. And he and he kept leaving messages, kept the exact same thing. Like I don't even know that he realized he was calling the same church. I think he was just calling, you know, down the line and just whatever. And um, you know, just asking for money. I don't even know what that had to do with it. Oh yeah, here's what I had to do. People think God, you know, the the work of the church is to like. Give money to all these bums, you know. I mean, I, 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 I went to school this morning. I'm, I'm, from, I'm in school from 8 a.m. to 12.30. I leave school right after. I, I come home, you know, eat lunch as, as fast as I can, get on my work clothes, go to Woodland, do a job, come home, you know, get the, the, the table out for my wife and the chair so she can clean up for church, you know. I'm working on church stuff. I'm working on my sermon. I'm reading the Bible and doing these things. And, this, and I'm listening to this guy, and, and I'm... And I'm for money, I can hear him all day long. He's just sitting in front of the television. Just, and I'm, I'm supposed to give him money, you know. But, um, you know, people have this idea that it's just, that's what the church is for. But that's not what church is for. Church is for this. Verse 42, and daily in the temple. I, I would to God that one day, Verity Baptist Church would grow to the place, and we'd have so many soul winners that just there was somebody going out every day. It says, daily in the temple, and in every house, they cease not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. Let me show you some few things about soul winning, just because I like to prove things from the Bible, and we'll do this quickly as we close. But go to Mark chapter number 6, and look at verse number 7. Let's do it fast so we can finish up. Mark chapter number 6 in the New Testament, and verse number 7. At Verity Baptist Church, we attempt to do everything we do. We try to justify it with the Word of God. Justify it with the Bible. Teach it, you know, if we do anything, we get the example from the Bible. And we try to do what the Bible says. And let me show you what the Bible says. Mark chapter number 6 and verse 7. I've done this before, but I want to show it to you again. Mark 6, 7 says this. Jesus is speaking. He said, and we're talking about Jesus. He said, and he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. So the Bible says that Jesus gathered his twelve disciples, and he sent them out two by two. So in groups of two and two, to go preach the gospel. Say, so what, what do you do after that? Well, go to Luke chapter number 10. Look at verse number 1. Luke chapter number 10 and verse 1. So Jesus started with his little church there, his twelve disciples, and he sent them out two by two. In Luke chapter number 10 and verse number 1, it says... Luke 10, 1, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70. So now his church has grown a little bit. He's got 70 people now. And, he's, and he said, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. He said, well now church, Jesus' church is growing. What's he going to do now? Is he going to start a, 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 a homeless shelter? And I'm not against 
homeless shelters. You know, we might have a homeless shelter one day, but we'll never have one and not do soul winning, you know. But he said, you know, Jesus Church is going. He's going to have a homeless shelter. He's going to get a radio station. Is he going to, you know, build a school? What's he going to do? Well, look what he does. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every, notice what it says, city and place whither he himself would come. So he would go preach in these cities, then he would send his church members in these cities two by two to every city. And guess what? In Acts chapter number 2, his church has grown now from 70 to 120. And guess what they were doing in Acts chapter number 2 when the Holy Ghost came down and, and, the, and, and they were speaking in tongues. They were preaching God's Word. Say, what does the local New Testament church do in the New Testament? They go soul winning. Go to Matthew chapter number 9, look at verse number 35. Matthew chapter number 9 and verse number 35. You say, what, what was Jesus' ministry? You know, people have this idea that Jesus was like Benny Hinn. He was just going around just healing people, you know, just having healing lines or something. By the way, Benny Hinn is a liar. I have proof. I'll talk to you about that later if you're interested. Mark 9.35. Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter number 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter number 9, verse 35. Matthew 9.35 says, And Jesus, notice what Jesus spent his time doing went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He did heal people. I'm not disputing that. But what was he doing? He was going about all the cities and villages teaching and preaching the gospel. Jesus had a mission to preach the gospel in every city in Israel. He wanted to go to every village in Israel and preach the gospel. Go, go to Luke chapter number 4. Look at verse 43. Luke 4:43. Luke chapter number 4 and verse 43, the Bible says, And he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, if you have a red letter edition Bible, the words are in red, he said, this is what Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. So why was he sent? To go to other cities, to preach the gospel. Look at Luke chapter number 13 and verse number 22. Luke chapter number 13 and verse number 22. Luke 13, 22, it says, And he went through the cities... Notice what he says, cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So Jesus spent his days on earth, going from city to city, from village to village, from town to town, reaching them with the gospel. He said, how did he do it? He gathered those of his church, he sent them out two by two to preach the gospel. He said, that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. That's what the Mormons do. No, that's what the local New Testament church does. And let me just explain something to you. The devil will and take God's mode of doing something and copycat it. That's why we had the NIV Bible. That's why we had the New King James Bible. He'll take the God's Bible and then he'll make his own Bible. He'll take God's mode of soul winning and then he'll have his disciples, the Jehovah's false witness. They're a cult, by the way. The Jehovah's and the Mormons, they'll go out like Jesus, but they're not preaching the gospel. You talk to them, they're not preaching the Bible. You start talking to Jehovah's Witness, they might be carrying a Bible, but you know what they want to show, share with you? Their little pamphlet. Their little magazine. They're not preaching God's Word. And, and guess what they're going to tell you? The Mormons are going to tell you that Jesus is not God, that Jesus is a God, that Jesus and, and uh, Lucifer were brothers. The Jehovah's going to tell you that Jesus was an angel, that Jesus was a created being. They're like the Sadducees of today, pretty much. They just had all these weird doctrines. And say, go back to Acts chapter number 5 and verse 42. So Jesus spends his time 
going from city to city, sending his disciples out two by two to reach the cities, the villages. From village to village, from house to house. And then what does the local New Testament do in the book of Acts? Because that's what the book of Acts is about. It's about the, 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 the church history. I mean, when we're preaching through the book of Acts on Wednesday night, that's like better than a Bible college course in church history. I mean, we're pre- this is church history. This is the church as it's growing and as it's moving. And what is the church of God doing in the book of Acts in verse number 5 and verse 42? And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The same thing that Jesus was doing. Look at Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 20. Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 20. Acts 20, 20 says this. Paul said this, and how I, you know, what was Paul doing? The greatest missionary who ever lived, probably the greatest Christian who ever lived, other than Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter number 20 and verse 20, usually referred to as Acts 2020 vision, he says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you, but I've showed you and I've taught you publicly. Notice what he said. Publicly, that's a church service. And from house to house. Show me a church in this city that has a goal to knock on every door in Sacramento. Show me a church in this city that has a goal to knock on every city and every town in the Sacramento area. That has a goal to knock on doors and literally since we started this church have been knocking on doors and have been highlighting the map to show that we're going to knock on every door. Why are we doing that? Because we're trying to be just like the church of that. Just like Jesus Christ. What were they doing? They had a radio station. They had a Bible college. They had this. No. They were knocking doors getting people saved. Going out, inviting people to church and preaching the gospel to them. That's our goal. That's our mode. You say, what's your goal? Look, this is the last verse I'll have you look at. Acts 5.28. Acts 5.28. Saying, the Bible says, saying, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Look at what they said about this church. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Say, Pastor Jimenez, what's your goal for Verity Baptist Church? I would love one day for some mayor of Sacramento or some, you know, city manager or some to just come to our church and say, can you just stop? You just fill the city with your doctrine. I would love that. How are we going to do it? We're going to reach every door. We're going to knock on every door. We're going to stop people on the streets and invite them to church. And if they're friendly to us, we're going to give them the gospel. And we're going to knock on their doors and invite them to church. And if they're friendly, we're going to ask them, do you know for sure if you're dead today, you go to heaven? Could I show you that? And if, they're not, if they don't care, then we'll say, alright, well, have a good day. But if they say, yes, I'd like to know that, then we're going to give them the gospel. And we're going to invite them to church. And we're going to get them baptized. And we're teaching the Bible. And we're going to do that because that's what Jesus Christ did. Now, are you gonna are you gonna feed people? Are you gonna clothe people? Maybe one day, I don't know. But I'll tell you what we're always gonna do: the work of God. And I would pray that you would decide. You know what? I'm gonna do the work of God. What if they make it illegal? I'm still gonna do the work of God. What if they beat you? I'm still gonna do the work of God because I understand the value. When I bow my head with an individual and lead them in the sinner's prayer, and they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they understand that salvation... You know, and usually in America, people have an understanding of Jesus Christ. They know that He died on the cross, they, but, but they just don't understand salvation. They think it's still church attendance, or how you live your life, or baptism. And we, and we just got to explain to them, look, it's a gift. It's not of works. And when people grasp that, they understand it, and they say, wow, and they reject work salvation and they just accept that gift, man, that soul is going to be saved 
forever. That soul is going to spend eternity in, in heaven forever. And that's a greater value than anything else I could do with my time. And that's our job, our work, the work of God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for our church. And Lord,